on the show today and uh the entire show kind of got flipped on its head about 20 minutes before our recording because we got a text message that the big 10 was going to be releasing the schedule for what jared the next five seasons five 24 seasons. through 28 so technically five seasons five seasons uh home and away we don't have dates those will come at a later time um but nonetheless, we know the matchups now for the next five seasons. Uh, if it wasn't real before, it now is officially real now, guys, because we know opponents, uh, we know where games are being located, uh, and we know distances that Oregon's going to have to travel. It's uh, an exciting, different time for Oregon football. How awesome is this? Just to look at this, and as Matt says, this like really puts it, like this is concrete one year away this is what oregon will be doing these are the road trips you have to plan for and it's a really fun start to be i mean two of the like venues i think we've talked about being most excited about were michigan and wisconsin and oregon gets those right off the bat in 2024 along with purdue and ucla on the road and um i'm sure i don't want to run through every single game matchup because that would be a lot to go over that would be what 45 games to discuss um there will be stories on duckterry.com i'm sure if you want, you can just go to Big10.org, and it has a really nice printout of each of the five seasons and every single matchup and all of the different, um, you know, by teams. So that's worth taking a look at. It's actually a very easy graphic to look at. But I just am excited that, like, this is tangible. We're here. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about some stuff later in the podcast with the 23 season because this season is still ongoing and very exciting as well. But yeah, here we are, and you get a sense of, of what this will look like. And I guess just one of my initial reactions is that, you know, we talked about um, the possibility of maybe playing only teams in the West or playing all three teams on the West Coast every year. That is not the case. Oregon will play, I think, about two every single season, sometimes three. Um, but they will get a an incredible tour of Big Ten country right off the bat, like I said. And then in 2025, it gets real from a travel perspective. This is going to put a lot of, I think, stress on the travel budget of Oregon fans going to Iowa, Northwestern, Penn State, and Rutgers. That is two trips all the way across the country. Um, so we'll see, I think, in 25, just how committed the fan base is to checking out other parts of the country. But boy, right off the start, right off the bat here, opening with Michigan and Wisconsin in the same season on the road hosting Ohio State that year. I mean, there's a lot to like here in terms of this uh, initial 24 schedule in particular. Yeah, the the, uh, the 24 schedule is really cool. You get Maryland, you get Illinois, who, um, like Oregon, they, they don't really have a history with either of those schools. And then you host the big dogs in Michigan State, Ohio State, and then Washington as well. And heading on the road, like, this, you know, this is just kind of what you expect. I mean, when you join the Big Ten, all the other schools are on the other side of the country. So this is this schedule through the next five years is about what you would expect in terms of the travel. Um, Eric, you are right, though. Like 25 kind of stinks for Oregon since it's at Rutgers at Penn State. Um, 27 is an interesting one as well at Maryland. Um, and then 28, I think, is a it's a pretty nice home slate. Uh, Rutgers gets to come out to to Autzen Stadium for the first time ever, um, along with Illinois, Michigan, USC, and Washington. So, um, I think it's it's nice that uh, the Big Ten has also like kept together the the West Coast schools. Uh, I haven't checked Washington's schedule, but there is one year here um, where Oregon does play all three West Coast schools. That's 2026. Two at home, one on the road. Um, but like Eric, like you said, they do play at least two West Coast schools in every single every single year, um, which is really helpful in terms of 
recruiting kids to your school um, for any of the four programs, like, yeah, if you're Oregon, like maybe you don't get to have uh, X games at home, but, you know, you can go down and say, hey, look, we're going to play at UCLA this year. Like that's just down the road from maybe where this kid lives or it's still within driving distance for a lot of them. Uh, so that helps in the recruiting end. But to get these big-name matchups to come out to Autzen Stadium on a regular basis is going to be incredibly exciting. Like, 2027 is going to have Ohio State and Penn State. Like, that's just fun, like, at the end of the day. I think we all talked about this the, whenever the last time we talked about the Big Ten was. It's just how fun this is going to be in terms of getting to see these new schools on a on a – week-to-week basis almost a day-to-day but that's not how football works like you get used to the Pac-12 teams like ah it's Washington State again oh Oregon State like that's obviously the big game but Cal Stanford like you get used to it now these are completely different teams that um, that you see from afar uh, from the Pac-12 and West Coast perspective but now you're going to be right on top of it when they come to Hudson Stadium every week for the next you know seven years during uh, the Big Ten media deal. 2024 for Oregon features eight home football games out of 13 games. Because um, mm-hmm. I went, I just went and looked out. What does this do from an impact of a future non-conference schedule? And remember, they play at Hawaii uh, 24th of August on the road. And then they get Idaho, Texas Tech, and Boise State all at home, plus five conference games. So <laughs> next season, there will be some travel, yes, no doubt. They'll be traveling – all the way to Hawaii, and then later in the in the year, they'll be traveling as far as Wisconsin, Purdue, and Michigan. Uh, but eight home games uh, that that hasn't happened. I think it has at one point when the league played Pac-12 played four non-conference games, um, but it's only happened maybe once or twice in program history. Uh, I haven't looked yet at other games down the road, but. I do know in 2025, just six home games total for Oregon because they do have a non-conference game on the road um, at Boise State. I'll be – does that game get played, guys? Like knowing you have to play six road games in league play – or six total road games. It's five in league play. Five, Yeah. Yeah, five league play. Like Oregon shouldn't play that Boise State game. There's no reason well, to. Well, they not the only, to Oregon. Well, they can definitely get out if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, they can cancel. But they just have to pay a fee. I, I, I would say, though, at least it's Boise State, and it's not like this was a year they were scheduled to play across the country somewhere. That's a pretty quick, easy flight. It's not a home game. Obviously, you want to have as many home games as possible, to your point, Matt. But it, at least it's somewhat regional, which is, I think, what you need to do. And, and this is the hard part of when you change conference affiliations, when and especially when you schedule out non-conference games so far in advance, is that the benefit here, or the, the goal here probably should be to play almost all of your non-con games in West Coast time, you know, you know what I mean, in this time zone. It's because you are going to now have to travel across the country. So um, there are some situations here where Oregon will be playing you know, significant games, obviously, in Big Ten country while also having a game or two, mostly just one one every year. Um, that isn't super close. Fortunately, in 25, at least Boise State's re- reasonably regional. Um, to your point, Matt, though, like, I, I don't know what the outcome of, of canceling that game is other than maybe you would re- you would swap it for a game against, like, a 
Pac-12 team at home, but I don't know exactly. A former, formerly a Pac-12 team, like a former conference rival at home. I don't know how likely that is, though. I don't know how likely that would be either. It's going to be interesting to see who, who they do or don't keep on their non-con schedule. I kind of feel like they would keep Boise State. It's not like – I know like the only the five or five home games is, is a struggle, um, especially financially for Oregon. If they, if they get significantly less money than they would bring in for the eight conference or the eight home games scheduled a year before. But um, I feel like Boise State's going to want that game to be played, and I wonder how much the exit fee would be for Oregon to kind of cancel that. But – if the uh, if the pandemic season proved anything, it's that you can make schedules like this yes. and do it in a week or two, or do it midweek. Um, like it was this, like Florida Gulf Coast or whoever that was at the time. I can't remember who it was. Shanta Clear is not Florida Gulf Coast, but regardless, it's not as hard as it once seemed to go out and schedule these games. So yeah, if Oregon does cancel it or doesn't cancel it. Um, their non-conference schedule, I'm sure, over the next year will be affected some way or somehow. Maybe it's Boise State. Maybe it's another team. Maybe it's Hawaii just to cut down on the travel because that's as far of a trip, uh, I guess, that would be west as it is east. So we'll, we'll see what Oregon does from a travel perspective. But they got all this new Big Ten money going, so uh, maybe it's not going to be a problem at all. I think maybe the easiest solution would just be calling Boise and saying, hey, do you want to play at home in 2024 and we'll take you guys at our place in 2025? That would be probably the easiest solution. You, you, sorry, but you mean in 2025, come home? Because 2024, they don't play Boise State on the, the road, right? Isn't it 20? Yeah, they play Boise State at home. So they so they'd be just swapping, just saying, hey, in 2024, you, you guys get to host us. And 2025, we'll, we'll host Boise State, as in we as in Oregon. Right. That's the easiest solution is Oregon just calling them up and just saying, let's swap these these times. Or in 2026, too, because they host Boise State then, too. But that would present – actually, it wouldn't be 2026, because that would mean at Boise State, at Oklahoma State to start the season. That would not fly at all. So – Yes, the only solution, easy solution, would be swapping in 2024 and 2025 dates. But right. we're here to talk Big Ten games. Um, I, I guess, is there anyone that stands out to you guys that you just can't wait to go? I mean, I, I think in 2024, it's got to be Wisconsin. Michigan. Over Michigan? Dang. Well, I think – there, I've never been, so yes, that one would be number one for me. But a lot of fans went to that Michigan game in 07. So it's a long time ago, though. That's true. It's 16 years. I was 10. No, I I, uh, I think Michigan is the big, in the first year, the, the two games that are really exciting, and, and this is probably just almost too easy, is just they go to Michigan and they host Ohio State. That's really yeah. cool that you do that in the, in the first year in the Big Ten. You get to play both those programs. It makes a challenging schedule because undoubtedly those are the two toughest, or at least of the traditional Big Ten teams, the two historically toughest programs. But to say you get to play both of them in one season, again, it's like, yeah, you're in the Big Ten. This is real. You are playing all the big dogs right out the, right out the gate. Um, 24 home schedule getting Ohio State, getting Washington's awesome. It's kind of a bummer the other three teams right now don't look fantastic although maryland has had a good start to the 2023 season yeah take it um, easy on the terps yeah the terps the terps maybe 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 i'm being too critical 
but uh, Illinois and Michigan State haven't exactly looked incredible. And at least they're not going to Illinois right away, where there apparently are fires that are making it difficult for them to play games. I don't know if you guys saw that story um, that came through the wire a couple of days ago. It's interesting. Um, no, I, I think in 24, it's Michigan and Ohio State. Going to Wisconsin is going to be another awesome opportunity, though, um, without question. Um, it's fun. I mean, there's three there's three games here that, like, you would talk about planning, you know, going to or trying to build a, a, a fall travel schedule around here right. or, or, you know, that, that you get in one year that, that you would usually have over the course of three or four years. So, um, yeah, being part of the Big Ten allows some really fun matchups and right out of the gate, having Michigan, having Wisconsin on the road and then Ohio State at home, playing Washington at home, like maintaining that rivalry. It's a good schedule. Yeah, my obviously Michigan and Wisconsin are top of the list so far, but that's just year one. Year two uh, at Penn State, obviously, could be a whiteout game. Could be just it's just a, an incredible environment there. Um, and then uh, the next season in twenty six, they're back at Ohio State. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, twenty five, they also go down to USC. It's been a little bit uh, since two thousand nineteen. Those last time that Oregon uh, faced USC. Well, I guess twenty twenty they did as well. Um, but that was for the they go to Ohio, a U- championship U- U- game. USC and twenty six. Right? Yeah, USC and twenty six. Yeah, they, that was that was the conference championship game. Although that was played, I believe, at USC. Yeah, um, yeah. That the twenty twenty five. They'll go back down to USC, and there should be fans at that time. We all hope and pray that there will be. Um, Nebraska's go is going to be a fun trip. Uh, I think that's like a uh, obviously GBR is not doing great in terms of everything but that's still a great place to go to um it's still uh, one of the best fan bases in the entire country um i think all of these schedules like every single year is just going to have like three or four great games um and all kind of will rotate as well depending on how good um the other programs do like we don't know how illinois is going to be next year i'd imagine that they're probably not the greatest but every once in a while they have like pop-up good years and so that'll just add kind of these elements to each season where it's like, oh, well, we really wanted to go to uh, Wisconsin or Minnesota, but dang, uh, I don't know, Indiana is really good this year. Maybe we can go make that trip or that's going to be an even better game. So obviously the big dogs, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, I wish Michigan State was still on that list, but they've been really struggling the last couple of years, um, but still a fun environment. Like there's just going to be, great games every single season but uh that penn state game away in 2025 yeah that's gonna be a fun one yeah all right let's transition now to 2023 um you guys were at media availability dan lanning gave us the unfortunate probably expected news that no whittington is done for the season yeah i i asked him if he expected whittington to return to play this season, he said, I don't think that's probably going to be the case. No. Um, as we said, expected. A strange I mean, answer. Yeah, it was a little bit. Like, like English-wise. <laughs> well, it, it is because it's it's like kind of caveating both sides of yeah. it. But I think pretty clearly it's no. And we, we kind of heard that independently as well. And it was I thought Jared and I were talking about as we walked back to the car afterwards. I, I thought Avila Bucky Irving didn't say my teammate is out for the season. He kind of let it slip with how – effusive he was in his praise of Noah and kind of how like emotional he said he was and how it was going to take him some time to recover. Like you don't talk in those terms if a guy's out for like two to three weeks or something. So I, uh, there was kind of the writing was on the wall. 
Um, even Dan's immediate reaction after the Colorado game, talking about pray, pray, pray for Noah, said that a couple of times. I, I, I thought this was probably going to be the result. It stinks. Noah is a, a really great young man from all of our encounters with him. Very fun to talk to. Sometimes a little tight-lipped, but sometimes not. Um, and a very good football player. And, and this puts pressure, obviously, as we've talked about before, what it was doing in the immediate aftermath of the Whittington injury. It puts pressure on Bucky Irving and Jordan James. But now that we know it's for the duration of the 23 season, it puts even more pressure on those two. So far, so good. Um, Jordan James, new career high in rushing. Both games, by the way, that Whittington has missed, uh, James has set one. First, Portland State, he had 86 yards, and then he re-upped it to 89 this last game against Stanford. So James has looked up to par. But as Dan said, when you're down the two kind of experienced running backs instead of three, that just put a little more pressure on those two to produce. And he did have some nice things to say about Jaden Lamar and Dante Dowdell. But as those who watched the game with Stanford last week saw, it didn't appear that the staff was quite ready to throw them out there um, in any meaningful snaps. So it'll be interesting to see if that changes going forward. But um, again, tough news here with Whittington out for the season. Yeah, it wasn't much of a surprise. Um, Dan has kind of tiptoed around the answer for the last week and a half, more or less. Um, but again, like the what Bucky was saying, what Dan said after uh, the Colorado game where Noah Whittington originally got injured, like asking for, for prayers for Noah, um, clearly it wasn't at that point wasn't going to be like a left ankle sprain. Like yeah. it was going to be more than that. And he was probably going to miss a significant portion of time. Um, so he's out for the season. I think Eric did a good job covering that. Um, Kyrie Jackson back at practice today. Or, Good news me, yesterday. Good, Good news. news. Um, really, well, to me, I, I guess to me, it was like, yes, of course he is. Because against Stanford, he was hurt. And then for the entire rest of the game, he was on the sideline, like jumping up and down and going through the motions as a as basically a fan of the, of, of the team on the sideline. So sure. it didn't look like he was going to be uh, impacted at all physically for the next couple of days. But was at practice, dancing, he had a good day, whatever the heck that means. And then, um, a fun one, special teams. Andrew Boyle um, yeah. might be out for the year, might not be. Dan gave a very cryptic answer. Um, I, I forgot to pull it up in front of me, but he's I, like, I, I have yeah, it. maybe. I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. He goes, yeah, right now. And then a pause in which Jared Denny, our, our good friend from uh, on three, jumps in and says, Kyrie, something about Kyrie Jackson. And Dan continues to answer the question about uh, Boyle and says, um, I don't know if it'll be the year, though. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, uh, yeah, I think James asked, James Crepe of the Oregonian, he asked, like, is Andrew Boyle out for the year? And Dan goes, yeah, for now. And it's like, basically, what the hell does that mean? Like, like, is he out for the season? Like, if each week is a season? Like, what are we doing here? So, I'll just anyways, just tell us the answer. Yeah. Well, my, get, my guess is it's it's an injury that was season-ending. Again, I have no idea. I'm just trying to make sense of this. It was an, an, an injury that could theoretically be season-ending, right. and then they've gotten some – since then there's maybe been more positive outlook or whatnot. But it was very strange to kind of – yes, but maybe All not. The, yeah. I don't know. Injuries All the there. answers other than other than Kyrie's were, were very strange. But uh, I, I did see Andrew Boyle yesterday at practice like not practicing but uh like coming out of like a workout from from their weight room but 
I guess that's a positive direction. I guess that's why he's only out for the season at that specific moment then. But in right. five minutes, he could be back. Um, but I think that's that's it from the injury perspective. Um, we don't have any updates on uh, Justin Jacobs. Uh, Dan did not mention him. Um, but I'd imagine it would be the same answer that we've gotten for the last four weeks. The, the one that I was... The one that I was yeah. hoping we'd get, and maybe we should have, we could have obviously gotten if we would have asked. Would just be something on Brian Addison, considering um, the matchup yeah, yeah. that's upcoming and the fact that we didn't see him at Stanford. It would be good to get some clarification on what his standing is, because game against Washington will be a game where you you certainly want all hands on deck, and he's one of your better um, players in coverage, better safeties in terms of playing in the pass. I, this is in no way a slight to Noah getting. Kyrie Jackson back is the bigger news. Like you can, in my opinion, like you can withstand yeah. the, the the loss of, of Winnington. It right. hurts. It definitely hurts. But um, Bucky and Jordan are, you still have two of the three guys. Jackson's your best corner, and you're about to play the best passing team in the conference, it, probably in the country. Um, yeah. Statistically in you, the country. Yeah. So you need Jackson more than you need Winnington in this game. Which is not any slight towards Whittington at all. No, it's fair, Matt. And and this isn't the only week where you really need all hands on deck in that defensive backfield. Because they've got Washington State the following week. Cam Ward has been awesome. They have USC later in the season. We know they have the high, reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Those are three games among your last seven against three of the better quarterbacks in the country. So they're going to be tested and you need them. And even Arizona State, which is a game Morgan yeah. you would think should run through Kenny Dillingham uh, loves to throw the football. We'll see what their health is situation is at quarterback. They're kind of in, in a weird spot right now with Rashada out and Pine playing. Um, but we'll see. I guess we'll get a sense later in the season if that changes. But, yeah, I, I agree, Matt. Kyrie being available is, is was, I thought, really exciting and, and positive news for the day. Um, do we want to transition now to the stock report, the midweek or midseason update? Sure. I mean, I'm I'm here for it. All right. You take over. You've got the the uh, data and the information here. I sh I sure do, man. Goodness. Um, apologies for uh, the occasional mouse click on my end. It's got to switch over from tab to tab on this Google Sheets document. No, I don't have Microsoft Excel, and I'm very sad about it. But mm. um, yeah, not a whole lot to talk about this bye week. Um, this podcast originally was just going to be injuries in the stock report um, and just kind of like our midseason thoughts on the team, which I guess theoretically we could still do after the stock report. I think we um, should. I think we should. Yeah. Big, Big Ten uh, has some had some other ideas. So uh, I'll keep this pretty short and sweet. Um, so for those who are unfamiliar of the game, uh, Eric, Matt, and I, all got a uh, thousand fake dollars, monopoly money, as I like to call it, to invest into uh, players on the football team. And each player is given a share price, which is uh, conducted through statistics and <coughs> divided by games played to see how efficient they are. Um, the the higher the higher or the excuse me the more efficient or the more productive a player is in their amount of games, the higher their stock price is. So. It's kind of a, I felt like it was a better barometer of how good a player is. It's like, well, does he have one game out of every 10 that's really good? Or does he have 10 games that are pretty darn good? Oh, that's a loud noise over there, Matt. Airplane. Yeah, I'm trying to like, okay. <laughs> Goodness gracious, that was loud. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, $1,000. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, a thousand dollars to everybody. Uh, I'll just go through the result, or should I do the picks, or just the results? Why, why don't why don't, why don't why don't you open by telling us that I know I don't, I don't think I'm doing very well, but why don't you tell us the the the, t, the individual our individual results, then we can go through players that have had big stock raises. That sure fair? thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So after five weeks, um, Matt Prem is up two hundred fifty-five dollars and ninety-four cents. Um, Eric Scopel is up $805.76. Hold oh. your cheering, Matt. Um, <laughs> and I am up uh, $995.69. Oh, nice. that's way better. I'm, I'm, I'm in the red or in the black. That's, uh, uh, that's yeah. way better than I thought yeah. I was doing, too. Yeah. So uh, offensively, um, for our pass catchers or wide receivers podcast, pass catchers, whatever you want to say, um, Matt, you're up $8. Uh, your biggest gainer was on Treshawn Holden. Uh, Eric, you're minus $14. Your biggest deficit was Jurion Dickey, who has played two games and has not caught a pass. I know. So his stock price is zero. zero. He hasn't done a single thing. Uh, and then I, my biggest gainer was on uh, Trayshawn Holden as well. I gained 22 bucks, and then 20 on uh, Troy Franklin. Yeah, how much should um, I gain? Running on backs. Sorry, really quick. How much should I gain on Troy Franklin? Because I know I put a decent amount of stock in that. Eric, you gained $2.80. And he's having what's considered the best Wait. season in school history. It seems like I should have more than that. Sorry, yeah, you have $9.82. Okay. You bought the Apple stock. It's not going to go up high. Because okay. you bought... No, you bought, I understand. Yeah, you bought 2.87 2. shares. I did all the math last night of how the money oh. uh, translates to shares and how Matt's shares translated into money. It was, it was a lot. Um, running back. Since yeah, that, that's my fault. No, 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 you're good. It was it was math either way, so we're good. Um, Eric was the only person to buy into running backs, and you gained negative uh, $1.22 because um, both there's, both Noah Whittington and, and Bucky Irving's stock prices were already very high, and uh, they just, they're performing well. But again, this is about efficiency. Um, they've been good, but not great. So the more games that they've played, the the more their stock price goes down. Uh, so Noah Whittington's. Yeah, I was just going to ask on Noah. So what is he at now? And that number won't change for the rest of the season, right? That's like I'm locked into whatever his value is because he's not going to play again. Correct. So his stock stock price right now is forty nine dollars and thirty four cents. Uh, you bought two point nine eight shares, aka one hundred and fifty dollars of his original fifty dollars and thirty two cents. You lost three dollars on Noah Whittington because he. Only played in three games and um, wasn't wasn't the best. So I'll you know uh, all, all, all things considered, I will take just a net negative three dollars on Noah, considering I put a lot of money in there. He's not going to play in the high like ten of the games this year. I'll take it. Probably not. And then defensively totals, uh, Matt, you made two hundred forty-seven dollars and sixty-one cents. Uh, Eric, you made eight hundred twenty-one dollars and seventeen cents, and I made nine hundred fifty-four dollars. And can I mean this should be an obvious pick, but can anybody guess the player who was a four bagger who I mentioned on the original podcast is my four bagger? I'm trying to remember who you said. I haven't listened to that pod in a minute, to be honest. Um, Who's the player who exploded in their Evan Williams. Value? Evan was pretty pricey to start with. Um, Bryce Betcher. We all Mateo, had him, fellas. Mateo, we all said that this was Mateo? bingo. Yeah, we. Okay. Every single one of us said that that was the the stock price who we felt comfortable that would shoot up. 
And he did. He went from $2.43 to my uh, objective stock price at the beginning of the year to $22. So Ooh, uh, wow. that Holy was cow. the biggest one. Uh, Matt, you had five shares of him. So you gained $97. Eric, you had 30.86 shares of him. So you gained $603 off your initial investment. Nice. And I had 41.15 shares of him. So I gained $108 off my initial investment. So, so that's that why is why. So much. Yeah, we, yeah, we invested on Microsoft in the ground floor. We were like the first three of the first, you know, in, investors in, yeah. <laughs> in this blue blood. Yeah. Kyrie, yeah. Kyrie Jackson was another um, big riser. I think that was another one that we all uh, talked about on the podcast of like, hey, the stock price is low. I think we can do well here. He jumped from. Thirteen dollars, basically, to twenty twenty three dollars a share. So Matt gained seventy eight, but eight dollars. Eric, you gained fifty five, and I gained one hundred and forty eight. Um, so Mateo was the uh, incredible uh, difference maker between um, having like a hundred dollars compared to plus nine hundred for me and eight hundred for Eric, uh, plus two fifty five for you, Matt. Yeah. So that's that's it. That's all I got. I didn't think I was going to be in the running, or I was going to be in first place, but I didn't think I was also going to be so far behind. But you guys just bought more Mateo than I did. Which... And I, I thought my, I thought the no, I thought I was going to be doing, I didn't think I was going to be as close to Jared, or I didn't really know who was going to be in first. I just knew, I didn't think, I felt great about my investments because of the no investment feeling like a dead-end investment. But the fact that I'm actually just going to be slightly in the, in the red on that, gives me a little hope for the rest of the season but the Troy Franklin having statistically like the best start to a season and receive as a receiver in, in history and I gained like nine dollars makes me a little bit more pessimistic about what the uh, the rest of the season can hold for for that player at least because I put like what yeah. 250 in that I think I put a lot into Troy. no you put 150 150 okay I couldn't remember yeah like I put in uh 300 on Troy so so we're both like, just kind of it's just a, yeah it's uh, it's not going to make a huge difference. Uh, like you gained nine dollars and eighty two cents, and I gained uh, twenty dollars basically. So, it's not going to be a, a giant difference. But um, if he becomes more productive, which I know is kind of <laughs> hard to think about, but yeah, it is. Um, it's all about it's all like divided by games played. And since Troy has played basically every game since his freshman season, like he's got a lot under his belt, like. Uh, Tez Johnson, even though he's having a good good year this year, like went down in yeah. share price because right. it's all about your effectiveness. Like he literally didn't catch a catch a pass against Stanford uh, last Saturday, so that doesn't help. But um, some good some good risers. Obviously, uh, Mateo was was the biggest one, um, and that was kind of kind of obvious. But he's he still has to be productive because hypothetically he gets hurt, like his stock price isn't going to go up anymore. Which already it's it's way up, but um, if he goes five games in a row with three total tackles, like that's going to start to plummet. Um, are we doing our? I think there's rebuy. Oh, did yeah? I was going to ask yeah, Jared. Did we want to do a rebuy or did we just say no on the rebuy? Because last night it sounded like that might be too, too much work on your end. I I think we we scrap that unless Jared okay. says it's let's, totally doable. Let's just scrap it. Yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know how we would do it. 
like are we getting rid of a player that we had already purchased or invested into i think the idea was like i would i would obviously having invested 150 and no whittington is not gonna that 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 value is 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 dead i would sell my 150 dollars of Noah whittington and then be able to use that 150 on another player but again this is getting complicated even as i'm saying it, i understand so we can we can just scrap that Five or we could just throw in and everyone just gets an extra $150. We could buy it into a player we haven't purchased before. But that makes it harder on Jared. But. Whatever you guys want. <laughs> no, let's let's uh let's just let's re uh we'll we'll take another look at this at the end of the regular season and then after the postseason and then uh yeah. and just see how things go. And I think we could jump in and I do think it's worthwhile doing at least 10 minutes on some midseason kind of thoughts yes. and things that have stood sure. out. I mean, Eric, you don't want to talk about the men's basketball schedule that just got dropped today as as well? I mean, holy smokes. Oh, man. Schedule overload. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll get to that later. And no, we're not talking about the Oregon men's basketball schedule on this podcast. Uh, five games in. This is where they should be, right? Like, yeah. they're a top 10 team. Mm -hmm. Their offense is one of the best in the country. And defensively, there's been improvements. Like, this is where they've been. They've played, I would say, one and a half teams that are on the scale of, I won't say like extremely difficult, but they got tested. The one being Texas Tech and the half being Colorado. You have to acknowledge they are improved, but they're far from where Oregon is at from a level of talent and depth and all of that um, and skill. But this is where they should be. And they go in, and I don't think the outlook, for me at least, has changed. Like They're still one of the best teams in the conference. They have uh, a legitimate chance to win the league if they if they do so, and they do it with only one loss or fewer. You know, They should be in the college football playoff. Knowing how good this league is, knowing how good this team is, um, if they – somehow get to the conference championship game with two losses, they're probably going to be in a position where they're playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. And that's kind of where we, at least I envisioned this team being uh, going into the season, one in which they've got the veteran quarterback, the schedule sets up nicely for them to kind of ease in. They should be at the midway point where they are. And I don't really think there's any like overwhelmingly glaring concerns they, they they've got some like third and long conversions that they've allowed on defense um they've had some issues running the football at times but i don't think any of these at least in my opinion are ones in which it's wow man they're when they play x school they are toast because they have no answer for that the, the stats would tell you that oregon has and i think this is probably I think more and more been the case through the first five games that that Oregon has the most complete team in the Pac-12. Um, I just let me just run through because you mentioned Matt having an elite offense. Their defense is statistically almost just as good. Um, here, here are the stats that matter. Uh, I just I've got four. I'm going to run through an offense, defense, scoring offense. Oregon is second nationally, only behind USC, 51.6 points per game. They've scored the second most touchdowns. They scored 34. They are second nationally in yards per game with 557.8 and fourth nationally in yards per play with 8.1. Defensively, they are eighth nationally in scoring defense, 11.8 points per game. They've allowed the ninth most, sorry, the ninth fewest touchdowns with seven. 
They are seventh nationally in yards per game, uh, yards per game allowed with 255.6, and they are third nationally in yards per play allowed with 4.0. It's a defense that is starting to look like a top 10 defense. Like if you run through those numbers, and again, they're going to get into the meat of their schedule and be tested, and these numbers are probably going to be um, there's going to be certainly strain put on this defense to the to the place where I don't know if they'll be top 10. For the, for the totality of the season, I'd probably bet against it. But still, through the five games, as Matt said, they're taking care, of, taking care of business. And statistically, at least, the defense is playing, I think, further ahead of where I thought they'd be. It'd be, you know, eighth nationally in scoring defense, uh, seventh nationally in total defense. And if you want to be specific about pass defense, like, they're, they're eighth nationally in pass yards per game and third in yards per attempt. I mean, this is a Oregon has played, and Oregon has played Colorado and Hawaii, who are two of the more prolific passing offenses. So there are some benchmarks here early in the season that are really impressive. Another one um, is, is sacks, where a year ago we know that they were terrible at that. Well, they've had 18 sacks so far this season, which is eighth nationally. So there's just a bunch of data here that I was going through when I was doing my how does Oregon stack up on both sides of the ball stories this week, where I went, man, this is like maybe even a little better than we've given credit to in terms of just how they stack up nationally across the board and, and really almost every category. Like, Matt, you brought up third down defense um, and third down and long in particular, even even uh, Dan said was was not great. Well, last year they were in the 90s in terms of where they ranked nationally, and right now they're 30th in third down defense. So um, big improvements really just across the board. Again, a whole lot more of the season to play, a lot of bigger tests upcoming, but – all of this is super encouraging. Yeah, and that's the the perfect word for it is encouraging because there was a lot of question marks going into the season about um, a how this defense would look like b like where are they going to improve and c like would the transfer portal additions and the recruiting class like would those guys end up stepping in and and performing and uh, they've they've answered all of those questions on the regular during this five game winning streak to start the season. Like, you know, the biggest scare came against Texas tech and, you know, outside of Tyler Shuck's 58 yard run and some uh, genuinely boneheaded defensive plays for pass interference, like Kyrie Jackson or Brandon Dorless taking out Tyler Shuck as he's running out of bounds. Like there's a lot of those moments that Texas tech had that sustained a drive that could have been eliminated just by playing smart. And that's obviously what Dan has been preaching for the last couple of weeks with the defensive penalties, but that was still a good performance. They still turned uh, Texas Tech over four times, really three, but like the, the the last one in the end zone, like it counts, but you know, it's a Hail Mary, so it is what it is. But three, three turnovers, a bunch of sacks, uh, even like a forced fumble that Shuck did recover. Like that was the beginning of like, oh, this defense is, is, is much faster, um, which – I remember I talked about like after the Portland State game, I'm like, this defense is way faster than it was last season. But then you really saw it against Texas Tech, and then you've begun to see it every every week since. And just perimeter tackling, um, getting to getting to the ball quicker, getting multiple hats on the ball quicker, um, blitzes, exotic blitzes from their linebackers. I think is just so much better than where it was last year because Jamal Hill and Jeffrey Bassa are literally just faster than a they were a season ago, and b faster than Noah Sewell who was great at running in a straight line and using his brute strength. But the way Dan's defense and Tosh's defense likes to work is have these guys come in on simulated pressures and either get to the quarterback or drop back into coverage. They can do that this year. And then they add Evan Williams, and then they add Tysheem Johnson, and then they add 
Kyrie Jackson, who's been marvelous on the corner and, and becoming a shutdown, lockdown defender, um, like Christian Gonzalez was last season. But um, that's been the, the the biggest step up in this team. Like we all knew the offense was going to be good. I don't think we had any questions about that. Just maybe how Will Stein looked at as or looked like as a play caller. But he's been great. So that you know has gone out the wayside. Like every game you go into, you're not really worrying about Oregon's offense. There's still probably like a little bit of worry about the defense, maybe because they just hadn't played anybody, but they've played people and they played them well. And Hawaii was still put up numbers against a regular power five team and Oregon completely shut them down. Colorado 41, 42 against USC last week, Oregon held them to six, like, and then Stanford, uh, they put up, I know they only put up 10 against USC, but they put up 20, 21 or 20 against Arizona, like Oregon held them to six. And granted, that's not a good offense, but Oregon did their job. They held them to six. They bent a little bit, never really broke. Um, so I think that's the biggest revelation of the season so far. But the the writing was on the wall preseason with the people that they brought in and both coordinators and actual player personnel. But you just didn't know until you saw it. And now we're seeing it, and now we're seeing what Dan's vision was last year when he just didn't have the guys. Has so going into the year, I think Eric and I both predicted one loss. Jared yeah. predicted two. Has that changed at all? I've changed my loss, um, and I'm actually going to change my loss. It was Utah on the road. I don't think they're going to lose that game because. Even if Cam Rising returns and Cam Rising is a hundred percent what he was, you know, before injury, sure, that team has so many other issues, so many other injuries, so many injuries around him that I don't think it's going to matter. Um, I I think Oregon's the better team. That's not going to say it's going to be a blowout, but Oregon should win that game on the road. And I originally shifted it to a loss at UW. I I'm going to maybe spoiler here, pick Oregon to win that game. Um, I think if they lose a game, it's going to be at home to USC. Hmm. I, th- I think Caleb Williams is, and his running could be a big factor in that game. Michael Penix isn't hmm. a runner. He doesn't choose to run. Caleb Williams doesn't choose to run either, but his escape ability and his athletic ability is really – impressive and he's the best player in college football and he's a Heisman defend you know Heisman winner from last season and I just think if they're going to lose a game it feels like that's going to be the one for me the, the the argument for why Utah is still not a bad pick is yeah they have to have Ryzen back and Matt is right and I, I even said it so many injuries I mean Matt and I were watching the the game with Oregon State last week and two brothers like got significantly injured one's out for the season um in like a 10 minute span of real time like it was just a tough day and they've got a lot of other injury issues as well but the argument for that would be it is the third consecutive tough 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 opponent there and you play washington you play washington state and then you go on the road at utah that could just be a man we are worn out from playing two really good teams the weeks before um but i agree that utah it feels a little less scary than they did in the preseason. I'm still sticking with my one loss and it being the most the game coming up soon, but I feel a lot more comfortable with where Oregon is 
after the especially after the last couple of weeks of conference play honestly not that washington played bad at all against cal but oregon really took care of business in its two games and <clears throat> I, I was just surprised a little bit with with arizona with its backup quarterback kind of hanging with the dogs i don't think that game was ever gonna be won by arizona but it was a seven point game final score it was pretty competitive throughout so not that I'm changing my pick because, like I said, I'm going to stick with it, I think. But we'll get through next week. Maybe I'll change my mind. But I, I still think that's the the biggest clearing. Because I look at USC and think that game's at home. Caleb Williams is amazing. But that defense has really sort of struggled against teams that I don't think are awesome offenses. So um, we'll see how these teams play out. But I, I still think Washington's the biggest test on the schedule. Yeah, I, I'm sticking with my 10 and 2, which I have losses to Utah at Utah and USC at home. Um, I don't really want to change my predictions like during the season. Like this is this is what I thought preseason. I'm just gonna stick with it. I'm I'm gonna be stubborn and, and not and not change it. Um, and I, I I predicted a win against Washington in the beginning of the season. I feel pretty good about that. Um Again, it all comes down to if Oregon can can stop Michael Penix and force some turnovers there, which it will, we'll find out um, because they haven't been a great turnover force defense, but it's also sometimes it's kind of just luck. Sometimes it's just opportunities or drop drop interceptions. Like it just kind of happens. Had, it comes in bunches. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah was, they, had, they had four in one game and have done nothing since basically. Yeah. Right. And again, like Jamal Hill could have caught the interception against Colorado like Kyrie Jackson had a, a chance and so sometimes it's kind of just luck but we'll see how that game goes the Utah one um I completely understand where you guys are at on Utah I tend to agree um I am just never going to underestimate Utah again I yep. got burned on that sure. during the 2021 season and yep. uh until an Oregon program can show me that they're going to go there and absolutely maul Utah uh, like they did in 2019, I guess, during the Pac-12 championship game. Um, Utah is going to be an incredibly difficult environment. Might be one of the one of the toughest in the Pac-12. Uh, and then USC, I'm with you guys. Defense is not there. It clearly isn't. It, it never has been under Lincoln Riley. Um, for some reason, he keeps hiring Alex Grinch. Like I don't know what the reason is to is like why he keeps hiring him. He must have like dirt on him or owe him money or something like that. But it's not. It's not going to stop Oregon's offense um, unless the Ducks have significant injuries on the offensive line from now until then, which may happen. It may not happen. Knock on wood. But it's going to be a long night of the office for both defenses because, like Matt went through, Caleb Williams is that dude. Um, I remember we saw a thread on our message board the day of the Colorado game. Like, is Caleb Williams overrated? It's like, no, no, he's not. He's the best player in the country. He's going to be the number one overall pick. And if I were like eight to 10 NFL teams, I would rather have him than my current quarterback, which includes my New England Patriots, because I'd much yeah. rather have Caleb Williams and his arm strength to try to get move the ball down the field. Like he's he's that good. He's a generational talent and he'll be gone after this year. So it, he won't get to leave his imprint on the first year in the Big Ten. But that's going to be incredibly difficult, like for, for all the high praise that we're going to be singing about Michael Penix that we have in the past and what we're going to do this week. Caleb Williams is just better quarterback. And not that any of them are the wrong answer here, but Caleb Williams is just better. So it's going to be a difficult day at the office. Um, I do really like Oregon, though, against that team. 
while their wide receiver core is good, they've had way better ones in the past, like true number one guys. I feel like they have a lot of number twos, which again, isn't, isn't bad. Like it's, it's, I'd, I'd take an offense that had seven number twos in it, but you know, they've had real dudes in the past, like even just Jordan Addison last season. So I like where Oregon is going. Um, it's honestly going to depend a lot on how they perform against Washington. It's going to be their first giant test of the season. They're going to have three more giant tests, four more giant tests towards the end of the season. We're just going to find out what this team is truly made of, but I am incredibly excited for this Washington game. I'm the more optimistic of the three. And I think I lean towards Oregon going undefeated more than I do a loss, but the fact that it's never happened before in league, I can't pick one. Like I can't, yeah. I can't say they're going to do it, especially in this I guess season. It has so to that's why. I, once. Yeah, so like that's why I said they have to have a loss somewhere, and I picked USC. I think they're going to beat Washington. I think they're the more balanced team. Um, I, I think Oregon has dominated the games in which, you know, the same kind of caliber of game that Washington hasn't. Um, it is on the road, so maybe that changes things. That that place is one of the more difficult places to play in the in the country when Washington is good. And it's a rivalry game up there. Um, I just think Oregon's more balanced, and that will help there. Like, so I had to pick somebody. I don't think they're going to lose at Utah. Um, maybe it, maybe they trip up somewhere. Maybe it's Washington State. The, yeah, maybe it's Washington State, or you know, maybe the desert sneaks up and snatches the Ducks again, like it did in 2019, which would be a monumental upset this season. But I. I because Jared, the reason why I brought this up was when Jared was going through the USC stuff. It's like, yeah, I agree with all of that, and then I think Oregon's the more balanced team in in that matchup too. But um, they have the best player on the field in Caleb Williams. But I, I think the way the best way I, I could summarize this is like, I w- wouldn't be shocked if Oregon won every single one of their games the rest of the way. Like and when you just look at them individually, just not. Hey, I'm not I'm not shocked that they go undefeated, but Oregon at Washington, Oregon wins that. Yeah, that's not a surprise. Oregon at home against Washington State, they win that. Yeah, that's not a surprise. You go through the entire list, and I feel like that would be the same response. Like I would be really surprised if they're underdogs by more than two points, three points the rest of the way. I mean, the, the, this will probably be the the only week where they are more than that potentially against Washington because I think it's against mm-hmm. Utah. Oregon will probably be close to even, if not maybe even favored, depending on how Utah plays from now until then. USC at home, I would expect they're favored. I'm with you, Matt, in terms of, I think that's a good way of putting it, of if you look at each of these tough games individually, like, I totally see a path to winning all those games. I think Oregon's outperformed. I think Oregon has played so far through five games probably the best football across the board. I'm not saying they have the best offense. I'm not saying they've had the best defense, but combining offense and defense and special teams in all facets and how they've dominated, I think you could make a really strong case that Oregon has performed better than anyone else in this conference and that you could look at the schedule and say they can beat every single one of these teams individually. I just think that the, the way that college football works and the cumulative nature of all of this, they play three really good teams in a row right out of the bye. If they come out of that 3-0, and it the undefeated path becomes much, much more clear to me. Because after that, it's USC and Oregon State that are real tests. They get Cal, which should be a home game where, shoot, I mean, Justin Wilcox has played Oregon tough traditionally. 
but that should be a game where you can win pretty comfortably. And then uh, we've already talked about Kenny Dillingham down in, in Tempe. That's a game you should win. So, I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting place to be where you look up and say there's five ranked teams over the course of the last seven weeks. And you go, there's a path where Oregon could absolutely win every one of those games, but I just have watched enough college football, had enough seasons where yep. Oregon has been in this spot before and they dropped one. So it's hard for me to foresee them actually maneuvering all the way through and being undefeated. Like Matt, I could totally see it happening. I'm not going to count it out. And if they do, they will be in the college football playoff and maybe the, one of the top two seeds, perhaps, depending upon what happens across the country. But that's going to take a lot of stuff breaking right. Yeah, it, it sure would. Uh, I would be uh, sorry for being the negative Nelly on the show. That's just who I am. I would be incredibly surprised if they went undefeated. Just because not only has Oregon been in this position before and dropped a game, like college football sure. teams do, it's incredibly yep. difficult to go undefeated. Um, this year's Pac-12 is way better than in recent years. Like, just straight up. Even going down to ASU against Kenny Dillingham, like, they give USC a good little fight. Granted, USC's defense isn't great, but you expect Kenny Dillingham to not be incredibly competitive against the team that he used to coach? Good sure. luck. And that's not even we're not even that's not even talking about Oregon State at the end of the year. I'm even talking about Utah or USC. Like, this is an incredibly difficult schedule. Yeah. And if you go three and zero in the next three weeks, yeah, the undefeated path gets there. But guess what? You still have to play USC, who at that time could also be undefeated. Maybe they show the world how their defense really is next week when they play Notre Dame. That'll be a great game. We'll all kind of find out if they're for real or not uh, in that game. Maybe they lose. Maybe they get absolute, their asses handed to them, and we just write them off immediately. But even still, that game's going to be incredibly difficult. And then you got New Oregon State to end the season. So I am less optimistic, as I always am. I'm always more realistic, and at least realistic to my thoughts. And I would just be stunned of an undefeated season in the last year of the Pac-12, which is, again, a nine-game conference schedule undefeated season has never happened. Um, and with the incredible talent this league has assembled and its dying breath, I would be even more surprised that a team does it this year. Yeah, just, just to be clear, I don't think I said I would be not shocked that they went undefeated. Um, I would be shocked as well because – I picked a game when I, I'm saying like individually, I think they're going to win each one, but I know it's not, that doesn't happen. This is, this mm -hmm. is college football losses happen. And so I had to pick one. Um, I just feel like individually they should go into every game feeling like they should, it shouldn't be a surprise at all that they win. But as Jared's pointed out, as we've seen in past history, it happens every single year, uh, an unexpected loss or a tough loss that you had in, you know, in your grips slips away um it's gonna be an exciting finish to this second half of the sure football will. season uh there's a lot of big games starting next week at washington we'll all be there and then at washington at home against washington state and then you go back on the road at utah and it just gets harder and harder and harder we'll be there covering it all the way through and we'll be on duckterritory.com with previews recaps and game updates as well and on, as always on this podcast as well we'll have stuff throughout the week until the next one, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.